good. Well, thank you so much. It has been a uh, an amazing, amazing couple of days of being able to just see the work of God in the lives of people. There is no greater thing that any of us can do is to create and host an encounter between God and people and just seeing the breakthrough in the life, even just then, just walking in, just feeling the sense of the presence of God. Is there anybody else that could feel that? Yeah, I could feel that as soon as I walked in. It's tangible. It's right there. It's, it's, it's breakthrough moment. It's breakthrough time that God gives us. These rare times I call hinge moments of history where God takes a hold of us and we enter this sense of timelessness. And in that moment, there's this opportunity for breakthrough where, where our heart comes into alignment with the, with the value system of heaven. And, and the breakthrough is inevitable. It comes through and it changes and it transforms. It's like, ah. Oh, Oh, yeah, I know. And in that moment, if we allow those times and we steward those times well, we allow them to happen, they change the trajectory of our life. And we can look back and we see these flag moments. We go, oh, right there, that's where God did this. And then right there, he did that. And right there, he did that. Because we allowed ourselves to steward that moment well. And so, Lord, we just thank you for that. I just want to acknowledge your presence with us today. I acknowledge that this too is a breakthrough moment. This is not a time slot. Gosh, you might as well go start a tennis club if that's all this is. This is, this is breakthrough moment, breakthrough opportunity. This is the, the favor of the kingdom of God resting upon a house. And we don't want to take that for granted. We want to stop, pause a moment, and allow the sound of the voice of your spirit to just deposit deep, deep into our lives. Just allow that. Just to breathe it in. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, we love you this morning, Lord. We love you this morning. Lord, we, we just want to allow our hearts the permission to come into alignment with you this morning. We want an encounter. Not a set of propositions. An encounter with Jesus. It's only in the encounter, Lord, that transformation is possible. We've got to encounter you. Every time we look in the New Testament where lives were genuinely changed, they encountered you. So this morning we give our hearts permission to encounter you. In Jesus' name. Oh, he's good. Isn't he good? Come on, let's lift up a shout of praise. He's so good. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Lord. Well, so yes, we, uh, we have been um, people uh, who have been um, rarely found sitting still. That's not always a good thing, by the way. But we, uh, we were pastors in Australia for about 15 years, and uh, we pastored everywhere from Townsville in North Queensland um, down onto the Gold Coast where we helped to plant a church in the 90s. Um, then we pastored down here more locally um, in the Dingley area for, I think, about eight years, seven or eight years. And then in 2010, the Lord took us um, across the seas to um, the great state of North Carolina. And uh, so good morning and g'day, y'all. <laughs> it is a great place. In fact, we, uh, we live about 15 minutes from where Billy Graham grew up. Um, you, you, have, you have the Bible belt, you have the buckle of the Bible belt. I reckon we're the hole in the buckle. 
when, when they're that close to the ground zero of some of the most amazing works of God. Um, the, the Methodist circuit riders used to go through there back in the early part of the um, 19th century, releasing revival. Uh, they used to have camp meetings, and they, 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 people would come from all over and gather underneath um, these wooden arbor structures. And uh, they would gather around for sometimes a week or more at a time, and revival would break out. And we have an old original camp meeting arbor about five minutes' drive from our home. And you can see the axe marks still in the timber as it was genuinely you know, hewn out of the forest in the area at the time. And I've gone there many times in the mornings. I uh, watch the sunrise. It's just me and the squirrels. And uh, sitting there, hearing the squirrels all running all over the place, I'm just saying, Lord, I just pray if there's anything left of the anointing of the men and women who have come through here over those years, uh, I, just, I just pray for a double portion. And I just want to take this. I just want to release revival culture wherever I go. Uh, that's my heart this morning is that where, wherever you are now, that's, that's, that's not a ceiling, it's the floor. And I want to build on the floor to take you to another level of, of establishing revival culture because it's an encounter with Jesus through revival culture that's going to transform this city. The problem with transformation of a city is never on God's end. It's always on our end. He's just so good. He's just waiting. He'll wait for as long as it takes. And so this morning, I, I, just, I just want to give you a chance to say aloud that there is a yes on my heart this morning, God, for anywhere you want to take me. So I just want to give you that chance to say it aloud. Even, even now, just say that aloud. If that's you, to say, God, there is a yes on my heart forever you want to take me this morning. Amen. It's that yes that leads us to this place that we call a totally new kind of normal. I'm going to remove this because I can't preach in one spot. Um, I actually will self-combust. You will see it and there will be books written about it um, because I have to move. I get excited, I get passionate about the things of God. And, and so this yes on the heart is a valuable resource that we have. And it's the yes on the heart um, that has stepped, uh, caused us to step out into North Carolina um, in one of the areas where we, we minister. We knew nobody. Uh, we moved into that. We call it a parachute drop where you're genuinely dumped in an area where you don't know anybody or anyone and you start. I said to my wife, I said, I only get the chance to probably ask you this one time. We are walking down the main street of the, of the town we're ministering in. Um, we're only been there probably a month or so. I said, what's it feel like to be the pastors of nothing on the other side of the world from where you started and you know nobody? And she said, well, it's the most terrifying and yet exhilarating experience all at the same time. Uh, we had an opportunity to, to plant uh, Crossroads Church at the same time. Uh, we were invited to be uh, second in charge of a multi, multi, multi thousands church uh, with an enormous staff and budget at the same time. So we were living in two worlds, the extreme mega church and the little embryonic form of nothing. Um, and it gave us a very unique perspective on, on what the call of God was going to be on our lives. So we still pastor um, at Crossroads Church and then about 18 months ago, uh, the Lord birthed Anathan. Anathan is the Greek word you're going to find in John 3.3. 3. Um, although Jesus spoke in the Aramaic, it's interpreted into the Greek when Nicodemus came in the night and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And he said, you must be born again. That word again is the word Anathan and it means from above. And I love that. I, I told me, no, we're meant to live from above, from heaven's perspective. And the Lord said, the body of Christ for too many generations has been striving to live toward a place they should be living from. We've been living from the earth 
striving to get towards heaven, when in actual fact, we have been designed to live from heaven to earth. There's a real difference between present realities and future promises, and they both exist in the New Testament. But the problem with us as believers oftentimes is many of the things that should be present realities, we live as though they're future promises. And the present reality is found in the tense, particularly with this, is that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Not one day we're going to be, we are. It's a present reality. That's not a future promise. So we can live from heaven to earth. And so we, uh, out of there, the Lord birthed Anathan or, um, or business from heaven's perspective, business from above. So two books, one, uh, I think we have that one here as well, do we, mums? Somewhere? It's out the back, that's okay. Uh, my wife wrote The Boardroom of the Inner Man. And we have a ministry to business leaders now in uh, 12, 12 US states and 12 countries. Um, that birthed about 18 months ago. It's going at crazy rate at the moment. I think we've got two consultants now in London. We've got one about to start in Switzerland. We've got one that is uh, getting ready to start stateside and another one in the Netherlands. Um, and so it's, it's a ministry that we have to senior business leaders to help them to live from heaven to earth in their place of business, to release the kingdom of God right there. And so the law birthed this, which is think, speak, live, business from heaven's perspective. Um, it's a powerful tool that is quite literally uh, being released into boardrooms all around the world. Um, and uh, some, some very key people in business have said that they wanted to put their um, their name to the book, and not least is the guy who wrote the foreword. He's CEO of a $4 billion private equity fund, um, a massive, massive company doing phenomenal things around the world. And he said, it's changing my life, this perspective shift. Um, these are highly intelligent people that are going, we get it now. Um, and then they get angry and go, why didn't we know it before? Because they're seeing the power of God released in the most phenomenal ways. And that's how my heart for you is to live a totally new kind of normal. That means living from heaven to earth, not from earth toward heaven. Stop striving to live toward a place that you have been designed to live from heaven to earth. So this morning, I want us just to take a, a brief moment and step into what is a totally new kind of normal. I want you to turn to someone next to you and say, are you tired of normal? Yeah, are you tired? I know I get tired of normal. Are you tired of normal? I'm even seeing some yawning. You're so tired of normal. I know. And now I want you to turn to somebody else and say, are you ready for a totally new kind of normal? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm a, I'm a student of revival culture and revival history. I love it. You cut me, it's what I bleed. And this morning I believe there is one revivalist from ages past that can leave a trail, that's left a trail of breadcrumbs for us to follow that's going to help us to know how do we take steps towards living a totally new kind of normal. What is a totally new kind of normal? A totally new kind of normal is a life where you are consistently postured and positioned in miracle territory. In miracle territory. I have lots of people that I spend time with and say, well, pastor, I just don't believe in miracles anymore. I've never seen one. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know that miracles even exist. And I think they all died out in the first century. And I'll ask a few questions about them. And, um, and after they've you know, shared some answers to those questions, I'd say, well, you know what, I think your conclusions are pretty accurate. If I was you, I wouldn't believe in miracles either. And they go, but hang on a second, we know who you are, we know the kind of messages you preach, how can you now agree with me? I'd say because you will never see miracles in miracle territory, if you're not in miracle territory. 
See, the problem is never on God's end. It is always on our end. God's ready to break through. God's ready to show up. God's ready to heal. God's ready to give life and, and freedom and hope. God's ready to release blessings and favor and resources. He's ready to do that. But we're living in the land of the predictable. We're living the normal. We're living where all places we have controlled outcomes. We will never see miracles in that place. A totally new kind of normal means living in the land of miracle territory. It's a reposturing and positioning. It is us coming into alignment with the value system of heaven and not demanding that the value system of heaven comes into alignment with us. And so I want to take us on a, a short little journey from this particular revivalist because I believe he can help us to know how to get into a totally new kind of normal, into miracle territory. Born in 1703, he was the 15th child of 19 children. And at age six, he was caught in a house fire. And everybody had gotten out of the house except for him. And his mother was screaming from the streetscape, Please save my boy! And so some of the townsmen came around and the boy was screaming out the window. And the men actually climbed on each other's shoulders to get to the window to lift the young man out. And they get him down to the streetscape below. And no sooner had they done that and the building collapsed. And uh, his mum said of him that surely um, God had something special for this boy. And she said this famous phrase, he was a brand plucked from the burning. How right she was. For today, there is not a continent on earth where his name is not known. And even today, tens upon tens upon tens of millions of people are still being affected by the legacy he left. He was a man who gave everything because he lived a, a, an everything sold out kind of life. And in actual fact, it has been said that when he died, he left little more than two silver spoons a silver tea kettle, a disheveled jacket, oh, and the entire Methodist church. He left that behind too. John Wesley was a revivalist who lived a totally new kind of normal. And so this morning, just very briefly, I just want to touch on, if, if we were sitting here and we said, uh, you know, we're ready. I want to live in miracle territory. I want to live a totally new kind of normal. And John was standing here and would say, John, how would we do that? I don't think he would give you all the information. I believe he would ask you three questions. I believe the first of those questions is this. Have you ever had a life-altering encounter with Jesus? John's father was a Church of England minister. I mean, in fact, John himself, when he died, was still an ordained Church of England minister. Pardon me, excuse me. And uh, one, one day, early on in John's life, his father said to him, John, he put it this way, do you know the inward witness of the Spirit? And John said, well, what is this inward witness? And his dad said, it's where you know that you know that you know that you have peace with God. And he goes, well, dad, I don't have that inward witness. And his dad was not equipped to be able to really show him how to get it. He just knew, he knew it when he got it. And so John's early life was marked by him going on this quest to try and get this inward witness of the Spirit. And in fact, as he went on this quest, he developed a very unhealthy fear of death. And he, he famously wrote, I know I will have the inward witness when I am no longer afraid of death. 
and uh, as he went about his business, he thought he tried to find it in serving the poor. And so he served the poor as good as any man ever has. And he did everything he could to serve the poor, but didn't find it there. And then he went and said, maybe I give all my things away. And so he gave and he gave and he gave. And he didn't find the inward witness there. And he went to the extreme measures where he said, I'm going to go to the new world, to the Americas, to the Indians. And I'm going to preach there. And maybe there I'll find this inward witness. And he went and he strived and he strived and he strived. As history so well recorded, he left there a disgraced man, pretty much. And on his way back, he was aboard a ship and a huge storm broke out. And he saw a group of Moravian Christians that were sitting on board. And as this storm was billowing all around him, John was fearing fearing for his life. And there they were singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in the midst of this life-threatening storm. And as his journals, journals would later record, he said, I held on to the edge of that rail and I said, God, I came to the Americas to save the heathen, but oh, who would save me? He was a man who just desired the inward witness of the Spirit. He got back home to London and he found himself at a place called Aldersgate. And at Aldersgate, he then got to hear a a preacher by the name of Holland. And Holland was actually only speaking about Luther's preface to the book of Romans. He actually wasn't even in the Scriptures. And and, uh, the, the famous words of Wesley were recorded later on that evening when he said, as, he, as Holland read, my heart was strangely warmed. On the morn of that day, I did not believe. But on the eve of that day, I did believe. I have had the inward witness of the Spirit. So God is ready to encounter you if we are ready to encounter Him. And so... Fast forward several years later, he was preaching at a place called Bolton and his ministry had taken off and I actually had the opportunity to preach right near Bolton last year, just outside of London. And um, as he's preaching, as would quite often happen, groups of marauders would come to try and disperse the crowd and interrupt his gatherings. And there was thousands in this crowd this day and, and sometimes they would even release wild cattle through the crowd and things like that to try and cause people to get up and go away. But this time there was a group of men that had large rocks and there was maybe 30 or 40 that were pelting rocks into the crowd to try and cause the crowd to go away. And, and nothing was stopping John from preaching. He just kept preaching. He wouldn't shut up. And so three of them decided they would take matters into their own hands and try and storm the stage. So as the three of them are running towards the stage, one man as he's running receives a rock to the back of the head from one of his companions and he hits the ground. A second man, having seen that, realizes that's probably an act from God. I'm getting out of here. He turns around and shoots off. The third man actually makes it to the stage. And as he gets to the stage, he picks up the 120-pound, 5'10 Wesley, a waif of a man, picks him up. Wesley's still preaching. He then pulls his fist back, ready to strike him down as though dead, when another rock comes and hits his hand completely out of the way. The man, recognizing that was God, releases Wesley and falls on his knees and receives Christ. Wesley recorded that about that moment. He said, the true miracle was not that God saved my life. Now, the true miracle was that I was not afraid to die. He had the inward witness of the Spirit. And if he was standing here this morning, he'd say, you want to live a totally new kind of normal? Have you had a life-altering encounter with Jesus? 
a second thing that God would that John would share with us. But first of all, I probably should give you a scripture. I probably should preach out of the Bible. Might be a good thing for this pastor from North Carolina. Come on all the way over here and don't preach on from no Bible. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. Let's say that. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us, the inward witness of the Spirit. Another scripture for John that was very dear to him was found over in the book of First Peter chapter 1 and verse, uh, sorry, the book of First Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. But now you must be holy, let's say that, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. The second thing John would ask after asking, have you had a life-altering encounter with Jesus, is do you have a system in place for sustainable spiritual growth? One thing to have an encounter, that's great, but encounters can come and encounters can go. Do you have a system in place for sustainable spiritual growth. A really short overview of John's life, we can break it down to four things um, that he had in place that helped him to become the person that he was who lived a totally new kind of normal. First of all was the amount of time he spent in the words of God. I love the prophetic, we operate in the prophetic, we, um, we see massive breakthrough in the prophetic, but the problem is, is that if we're not in the words of God, we can make God sound like anything we want him to sound like. It's only when we're in the words of God that we know the kinds of things God says. It's only when we're in the words of God that we learn the inflections and the tones of his voice. Only when we're in the words of God, we actually know a prophetic word's coming because we go, oh, I know that voice. That, that, that voice it has just spoken in the room. We know that because we're in the words of God. And John was a man who was in the words of God. People have asked me many times, Pastor, how often do you spend in the word of God? And I was, well, if I'm having a great day, maybe a couple of hours. A really, really great day, maybe a couple of hours. If I'm having an okay kind of day, yeah, an hour, hour and a half. If I'm sort of having a McMark kind of day where everything's got to be just instant right here and then, yeah, maybe five or ten minutes. That's just, am I the only person that's like that? No, I didn't think so. I think I'm amongst friends. You can chronicle, look at the chronicled accounts of, of John's journals. He would spend between four to nine hours per day in the words of God immersed tells me something about what it means to live in miracle territory. People who are immersed in the words of God, they bathed in them. And the other thing was um, for him was strict accountabilities. He put people in his life to help him with the areas of breakthrough that he hadn't had yet. It's well known that he was someone who had to struggle with his eyes, not because of his eyesight, but where he would direct them. He had a, his eyes would wander towards women. And uh, he said, you know what, I've, that's a problem. I can't live like that and be who God's called me to be. So he put strict accountabilities in his life. Uh, Pastor Rob and I were speaking about this a little bit, and we've both had many, many times times over the years people come and say pastor you know the enemy's attacking me on this and I got demonic activity on this thing over here and will you pray for me and help me get delivered and released and free and of course would love to honored and pray over them well then a week or two later bang that same person's back there asking the same thing and you do it in another week or two bang they're back there again week after week the problem is 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 not so much that we're releasing demons the problem is is what's they're attracted to is you want to get rid of the rats you need to get rid of the rubbish pile. I can get rid of the rats all the time, but if you don't deal with the rubbish pile, then the rats will always just come back. The strict accountabilities help you deal with the rubbish pile. There are people in your life that you trust that will hold the mirror up, not from judgment, but from love, and say, friend, here's what I see. 
You know, some rhythms in your life, there's some patterns of behavior that just are out of alignment and you're struggling and you're wrestling all the time. The problem's not on God's end. I think the problem's on this end right here. Can we, can we come alongside and help you with that? And we, we can help keep you accountable to bringing new rhythms and new habits and new patterns. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, legalism and, 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 and spiritual behaviorism. I'm talking about the types of things that flow out of encounter and that now get us on the track to everything coming into alignment with that value system of heaven. It's amazing how quickly demonic activity in our deep inner part of our life disappears when there's no rubbish to be attracted to. That doesn't mean we don't see it, we don't have to wrestle with it, but I think you know the difference. I think there's a yes in the room on that. I think we know what we're talking about here. Accountabilities, he had those in his life, helped him to stay in miracle territory. If you're struggling to see miracles in your life, problem's not on God's end. <laughs> the third thing is then he... Um, he actually told his time where to go. Time is currency. We spend our time. And he told his time where to go. He actually had very good disciplines in his time management. And so in his time management, if you looked at a, a, an average day over a period of his life, it went something like this. Between 4 and 5 a.m. was personal prayer. Between 5 to 7 a.m. it was Bible reading. Between 7 and 8 a.m. it was public prayer. Then you go to 12 p.m., 12 p.m. to 4 p.m., it was more Bible reading. Uh, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m., it was public prayer. 5 p.m. to 6 p.m., it was personal prayer. 6 p.m. to 7 p.m., he would then go and share his faith. At 8 p.m. and following, he would have accountability groups and miscellaneous kingdom of God activity. I'm not sure where he peed, ate, or slept. <laughs> Am I saying we have to be that insane with our... I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that when you tell your time where to go, you can change your world. And all too often, our time is telling us where to go. Another thing he did is he was good at telling his money where to go. There was a, um, a time well recorded where he was coming home from a, a meeting and there was a, a lady, a poor, impoverished lady by the side of the road and he reached into his pockets as he'd always do to pull out whatever he had to give to her and he pulled out and he, he pulled his hands out and there was nothing there, just a bit of lint. And he was absolutely horrified of the fact that he had nothing to give this poor wo woman and he went home that night, he opened his door to walk inside his house and he saw a painting on the wall that he had bought some time before and there he just felt such conviction and remorse and he said, Lord, if I had not been so worldly, I would have had something to give that poor lady on the streets tonight i'm not saying that we go and sell all our stuff and that god doesn't want us to have things to help I'm not saying that at all what i'm saying is do you know how to tell your money where to go because when you get to do that it's phenomenal the opportunities you've got to bless it's phenomenal the opportunities you open up for miracles because now you are right in the moment because god wants to work through you to others and when you've got the resources to do that it is staggering the opportunities that come to release the kingdom of God upon the earth and to live a totally new kind of normal. John was amazing at that. And so I believe he was standing here today and we would say, John, we are charged. We are ready, ready, ready to get out of the normal and get into a totally new kind of normal. First two questions he would ask is, have you had a life-altering encounter with Jesus? And then he would say, have you got a system in place for sustainable spiritual growth? I think the last thing he would say is possibly found over in the book of 1 Corinthians. Let me just find ourselves there. Book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9 and verse 16. 
Yet preaching the good news, Paul said, is not something I can boast about. I am compelled, let's say that word, compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, if you only knew me before, if you only knew the kind of person that I was, if you only knew my attitudes and my behaviors, if you only knew the hate and the anger in my heart, then you would understand how amazing it was when I experienced the Father's always perfect love, when I got to taste of His goodness, when I felt His kindness and His compassion. You would know that I cannot, I must not, I will not shut up about the goodness of God. John would put it this way. Do you have a passion to change the world? Do you have passion to change the world? You cannot change a city without passion to change a world. You cannot live in miracle territory without a passion to change the world. You cannot live a totally new kind of normal without a passion to change the world. John, towards the end of his ministry, found that the doors were closing of opportunity in the institutionalized church. And so he thought, you know what, maybe I'll go to Epworth. Maybe I can preach there. Epworth was the home of his father, and his father had ministered in Epworth for many years and had since gone on to be with the Lord. And so he went down to Epworth, but word had gone ahead of him that he was coming. And as he got to the church, the pastor, the vicar, the preacher was standing at the door, and he said, John, I'm sorry, we we are under instruction not to let you in. And they closed the doors. Well, unbeknownst to John, there were a couple of people that were in the congregation that day that had come especially to hear him preach. And they came out around the back of the church, and as he's getting on his horse with his team of men and women and heading off, um, they said, hey, stop, stop, come here. So we said, what? He said, we we actually want to hear you preach. And if you come back here tonight, even here at this cemetery, which opened up to a big field, he said, we'll uh, we'll gladly try and get some people here to hear you speak if you would do that. He goes, yeah, I'd love to do that. And so he did. That night he came and there was a a reasonable-sized group of people. Well, they said, would you come back again tomorrow night and and we'll get some more people. And so he did in a larger crowd. And then a third night and a fourth night and a fifth night and a sixth night. And by the seventh night, it's recorded that the crowd was so great that his voice could not be heard over the wailing and weeping of the crowd that was coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he found his dad's grave and he stood up on his dad's grave, thrust his hands toward heaven and he said these famous words. He said, the church may have closed its doors to me, but now the world is my parish. He was a man who had passion to change the world. I don't know about you, but I want to be ignited with a passion to change the world. A passion change 
the world. Let those words sink in. A passion to change the world. That famous quote of Wesley's that we opened up with, I think I, I can take some license to change it a little because of his radical views on women in ministry. Give me 100 people who hate nothing but sin and desire only God. And I don't care whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will storm the gates of hell and establish the kingdom of God upon the earth. I want you to look directly into these eyes just for one moment. I will be one of those hundred people. This morning, I invite you, if you're someone who you know you've been living in the normal and you want to step out into a totally new kind of normal, would you stand in front of your peers and say, Pastor, count me in. I'm sick of the normal. I'm ready for a totally new kind of normal. This is your moment right now. If I have to stand here alone, I'm quite, quite okay because oftentimes I have to stand alone on that. But I choose to stand today and say, God, count me in. And so now this is your time. Will you stand in front of your peers and say, I will be one of those people who will storm the gates of hell and establish the kingdom of God upon the earth. If that's you, then I invite you to stand with me. I'm not talking about living a normal life anymore. I'm not talking about ordinary Christian living. I'm talking about a totally new kind of normal. I'm not talking about predictable, controlled outcomes no, I'm talking about releasing it and saying, God, whenever, wherever, however, there is always going to be a yes on my heart. I'm, I'm not going to be the maybe guy. I'm not going to be the no guy. I'm not going to be the can't guy. I'm going to be the yes guy. When you scour the earth and your eyes are looking, you find a yes right here. Because I'm stepping into miracle territory to live a totally new kind of normal. Two things. As we get ready to land, and I'm going to invite those who are a part of a prayer team or some musicians to come on up now, please. My wife, Julie, years ago, she was a little girl, about five or six, and Colour TV had just come to Australia, and she was living down in Port Ferry, and her, um, her family went up to Warrnambool to look um, at Colour TVs, and all the old tube types of Colour TVs. And so her parents were cranking out the deal, and Sesame Street was playing on all the, the color TVs, and Julie had wandered off. And so her parents came looking for her after the deal crunching had been done, and going, where is she? And, and they find Julie down the back looking at Sesame Street, and she looked something like this. <laughs> and her mum said to her, Julie, are you okay? And she goes, she goes, what is it? She goes, Big Bird is yellow. That little girl would never be satisfied seeing Big Bird in black and white again. When you step out of the normal and into the totally new kind of normal, 
When you step out of control into the middle of miracle territory, big bird is yellow. And you can never, ever, ever be satisfied with going back there again. John Wesley, as we land now, was asked once, why do so many people come into the middle of nowhere into the fields to hear you preach? He said, because in the quiet places, I set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn.